Hello and welcome into the Gotta Be Saints podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Gotta. Join me each week as I tackle life's most important question, how do I become a saint? On today's episode, we are talking about baptism. Before we begin, I want to announce our podcast sponsors. Firstly, Syndicate Strategies, a full-service marketing agency owned and operated by two Catholic business partners for over 25 years. Syndicate helps connect businesses to customers using the most current technology. They can help you create powerful, engaging websites and e-commerce stores that bring results. Find out what Syndicate can do for you at sinstrat.com saints. That's sinstrat.com saints. If you're like me and you like to wear your faith on your sleeve, I invite you to check out The Catholic Company, a one-stop shop for resources that will help you grow in your Catholic faith. They understand the importance of truth, goodness, and beauty. From rosaries to books to statues to clothing, The Catholic Company has it all. Use code gotta be saints for 15% off your order. That's code gotta be saints, all one word, for 15% off. The Catholic Company, because faith matters. I have with me today, Father Timothy Danaher. This is actually our first guest who will be on the podcast for a second time. So, Father, thank you so much. Deeply honored. Um, I don't know why, but I think it's going to be good. I mean, I've, I've told multiple people that if they're asking what episode they should listen to, I usually suggest yours. And if you guys don't know Father, uh, he's just... A very good preacher, but you, he's one of those people that you can just listen to talk all day. So we, when we talked about death, a hard topic to approach, even to think about. This time we're talking about a second kind of death, baptism, right? Yeah. So here's my question. I know you have a list to get through, but I want to say, I want to ask, Brendan, do you, what is the date of your baptism? September 26th. Oh my gosh. 1993. You, you're one of the rare people that knows that. Well, I, I've, got a, I've, I've been got a told you have to celebrate your baptism over your birthday. I've got a friend here, Jonathan, just one moment. Jonathan? Oh yeah. Hold on, you can edit this out. Yeah, what's up? Do you know the date of your baptism? He's shaking his head. I'm, I'm uh, staying with a friend. He proves my point. Mine is actually March 28th to, uh, no, wait, I'm not that young, <laughs> 1987. And the thing is, I just learned that I think I memorized it last year. My point is this, what date were you baptized is, I think you're going to, with 99% of fervent Catholics, they're probably not going to know. And Maybe I'm going out on a limb, but I think it's probably one of the most overlooked facts, both of our experience and also um, of theology. I mean, if you look at baptism in the life of a Christian and in the whole of Christian theology, it's number one of importance. Like, let me give you this. Of the seven sacraments, you didn't know there were seven. That's <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. To our listeners out there, there are seven. Um, <laughs> that, the one that absolutely anybody can perform in a time of emergency or just in a time of grandmas worrying that their daughters are not going to baptize their own children and it's, you're giving a bath to your grandchildren, it works. If you, you, if you have the right intention to baptize, to do what the church does, pour water and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, anybody, even an atheist, even a non-believer, if intending to do the thing in the right situation, 
any human being can baptize. And the theological reason given by the most complicated medieval theologians is because it's the most necessary sacrament. Christ didn't commission some people to baptize. He gave that power to all human beings. Some can consecrate the Eucharist, forgive sins, perform marriages, etc. Mm. Well, I like that. I mean, but I, like I, I don't the... want it's just, just to say that the theology from Paul. I mean, think of this too. Let, let, let's take let's take four sort of main points right off the bat. Before Jesus ever arrives on the public scene, uh, the the Gospels begin, except for of course the infancy narratives, Virgin Mary, incredible material. But his public ministry begins with this man, John the Baptist, literally the, the, the plunger, the one who submerges things underwater, the baptizer. He's waist deep in water in the Jordan River. And this is not something from the Old Testament. You can, you can go back and say, well, maybe there was, there was bathing of, of pr priests washing and, and their hands in the temple or Moses in the Red Sea. But frankly, this is a complete novelty. John the Baptist is the last of the prophets at the borderline of Old and New Testament is doing some, I mean, he's preaching, yes, but it's what is this other thing he's doing? John the Baptist is baptizing. And this is just something so new from the Holy Spirit. And then you not only have, I mean, also in the beginning of the Old Testament, spirits hovering over the waters, beginning of Genesis, before Adam, before Eve, the spirit over the waters. So there's something about the, the, the God chose biological life to be based in baptism. And, and I'm not trying to make this be timely, but the weird thing is that the only living organism on this planet that we know of that doesn't need water, because everything needs water to live, life is synonymous with needing water, is viruses. Weird, right? Mm. uncomfortable <laughs> um but so there's there they, the they still they still podcast. are transported well, what's that i was kidding i said we should call this the corona podcast then <laughs> just get people but they still really they still they prey upon living things that need water and transport but i'm just saying that so four points from the beginning of the gospels it's water in the baptism of John the Baptist. The very last thing Jesus ever says to his apostles, go therefore into all nations, teaching them to deserve all that I commanded you and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And up he goes, ascending the great um, stairway to heaven to the Father. Bad joke. And then the third thing too, as I would say, is that um, when, when you look at the early Christian, the earliest writings, you could look at the Didache around the year 100, the year 200, you have Hippolytus, Justin Martyr. These are our earliest accounts of liturgy. They're always giving us the details on baptism. So it's to be shown that this was, this was observed. And, and, and you, you take this too, I, I think, you know, you look at Paul, this is my third point too, if you're going past the beginning and into the gospels, Paul is, read Romans chapter eight, you know, Paul talks about baptism as the dying and the rising with Christ. It's the total transformation. And then if you go all the way to the middle ages, scholasticism, all these things, Basically, they're, they're going to say this simple word, which I had already said, I'm repeating myself, um, the most necessary thing in all Christian mysteries and this whole life, the most necessary thing is baptism, to be baptized and to guard that grace, to hold on to that. Because you, as a single, formerly desperately searching for a vocation, now you might have found your vocation because you're dating somebody seriously lay, layman. And myself, a priest, and Pope Francis, and a consecrated sister, we all have the one same kind of grace. 
Our vocations can add to that, strengthen that, receive the Eucharist nourishes that, but it all comes down to that, which is our baptismal grace, is that there's, there's not a different kind. Um, there are different ways of life. So I'm just saying that it's, it's way overlooked, both in our personal experience and in common theology, not in the theology proper of the scriptures or of the tradition, baptism central, but it's still overlooked in how we talk about things. Does that make sense? Are we off to a decent start or is this already? Well, we're, we're off to a great start. We're going to get our viewers hopefully thinking, or our listeners, I should say, hopefully thinking about their own baptism. And I think it's just interesting. I think you're right. It does get overlooked even in our own lives and um, just in the fact that how often do we walk into a church, you know, sometimes in, in small dioceses, especially they'll combine a baptism with a daily or a Sunday mass, or even sometimes a daily mass. And, you know, I remember as a little kid getting frustrated that Holy family, the parish that uh, my family goes to, and so does fathers, they would do a baptism on the Sunday mass and the mass was already long. It was already an hour. And now they're adding 10 minutes for baptism. And yet shouldn't we be rejoicing in that? in that great gift because of the fact that somebody is joining the church, they're receiving those graces, the same graces that have been received since Jesus instituted it. And, you know, so there should be a joy in that. And we need probably a better understanding of this great sacrament. So. I do think quick rejoinder. It's true. We, we, we could be more happy with baptisms that we see at mass. But there's also like human nature and tiredness and hunger and just plain style. I've always done baptism separated in a private ceremony because it's a lovely 20 minute ceremony that you could focus on. I think when you combine it with mass, of course you can and it includes other people. But whenever mass is pushed well over the hour mark, I mean, from a from a totally personal standpoint, come on, guys. Oh, I'm, I'm, not in dis- I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying I'm, str- I'm struggling as a priest. I, I'm like, what are we of, still doing here? I think of Jose Maria and he has a great quote. He goes, you think the mass is too long. I think your I think your love is too short. Granted, my love is too short. Like that's not a that's not being questioned. But I also am in agreement with you that, you know, there's still a a level that the uh, priest can, uh, you know, cut the homily a little shorter if you're doing a baptism that day or you know find a way to not make it an hour and 10 15 minutes and that's doable you and i have both been to good beautiful liturgies that didn't exceed the hour mark that wasn't due to lack of reverence it was you're efficient you are actually thinking about your homily and saying this does not need to be 25 minutes long you don't have to there are a few preachers who can talk for 25 minutes and they're going to have their congregation still listening. I mean, and for the ones that can do it, praise God, the Monsignor Popes of the world, the Father Mike Schmitz, but most priests that I know, shorter is probably going to be okay to some extent. A bunch of a- average guys with holy orders. That's true. Um, let me give you this too. In If you do the baptism by itself, the, the ritual, the rite, which takes 20, 25 minutes, a couple yep. points when it stands on its own, which people don't always recognize. I always go over with this with the couples doing baptism prep. And I am presently, um, I was moved from a parish for after three years, St. Patrick's Center City, Philadelphia. Last month, I was moved to be the chaplain at Dartmouth College up in New England which is beautiful and students are great, but I actually do have sadness that there is no foreseeable baptism I'll perform in the next while, whereas this was a weekly occurrence. 
baptisms. It was, I, I realized in becoming a priest, how much I valued baptism. There's something about the life of this newborn, which is just when you pour out new life, eternal life, there's something, uh, I don't know. You, you just get the sense of how valuable life is when it's right there and mother's holding it. There's this great quote from the three hundreds. I'll just kind of paraphrase from Cyril of Jerusalem, who was uh, the Bishop of Jerusalem. And he's, he's giving these speeches to adults who had, at the Easter vigil had been baptized. And he's, they have these classes afterwards. What exactly happened called mystagogy. And um, he talks about, this amazing thing where he basically says Christ on the cross, he truly died, truly suffered for our sins. Then he truly rose from the dead. He goes, the same thing does happen in baptism, except the first part has changed is that he makes death, his death. Uh, he, 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 our participation is, is, a, is symbolized is that we don't have to die that day when we're brought to the church. We are washed gently with water. And the words are, are pronounced upon us. But we do, in fact, just like Jesus really rose from the, the dead to eternal life, that child there in that moment really does rise to eternal life. It has eternal life within its soul. It just needs to protect it into heaven. So there's this amazing thing where Christ paid the price of the great prize. The cross merited the resurrection. And the same mystery happens, but he makes gentle the first part. He doesn't ask us to suffer. We symbolically share in his death and really share in his resurrection, says St. Cyril, which I think is beautiful to think about. But that, that's, that's what I think is going on in that moment of the pouring of water. But there's all this lead up. For instance, a couple things people don't notice. And I notice since I've been performing these as a priest, it doesn't begin with the sign of the cross. Every prayer in the Catholic Church begins with the sign of the cross, except baptism. Because this is the very beginning where a child is brought to, and, and the ceremony really begins when the priest asks the parents, what name have you given to your child? It's like this beautiful thing. The church is basically like, who is this new life? And then the parents name the child. What do you ask for from the church this day for your child? Baptism. And then you, you remind them of the responsibility of raising them to learn to love God and love their neighbor. And then you go through a variety of things. I mean, there's a minor exorcism to cast out all evil from the infant. There's an anointing over the place of the heart with oil, literally on the chest with oil, which comes from this North African thing where people in a lot of religions had a lot of tattooing associated with their religion. So the bishop would literally take adults and like anoint with holy oil and the sign of the cross, all their like religious tattoos to try and like physically exercise them. And there's also in this sense of preparing their body, because literally in your humble body, which can be sick, which gets tired, which has to sleep every night in that body will dwell the Holy Spirit. So there's anointing of the body itself. There's um, there's just a lot of like amazing things that are so gentle and subtle. I mean, even right before baptism, you know, famous scene from The Godfather, Michael Corleone is having guys knocked off by his by his his uh, bosses, you know. Or, or, you know, they're saying, do you reject Satan? I do. And his empty promises, I do. And, and then do you believe in God the Father? So you have the six questions, three rejecting evil, three believing in God, the three I do's. And that's still done. In the, and that, that's actually the original creed. Before we ever had these formulas, I believe in one God, Father Almighty. That's where all of that began, is that we're about to baptize somebody. So let's put into words, and it was call and response at first, what exactly do we believe? That was the moment of the profession of faith. Like that's where it originates from. And then you get later things. I mean, I'll go on and on is you have everyone remembers the, 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 the giving of a candle 
of, of symbolizing the light within. I love the blessing of the, the mouth and the ears. So literally the sign of the cross is drawn that, that a child will hear God's word and learn to speak God's word. And we actually walk around with blessed mouths and ears, even though we never think about that in our adult lives. Um, mm. But think about that. It's like me meditating on scripture and hearing preaching and all the Catholic things we do to grow. It's like, that's not just random. It's like, you also have blessed senses. Are you sharing words with somebody at a coffee shop? You have a blessed mouth, whether you remember that or not from the day of your baptism, which God, which, which is like a sort of intercession for the rest of your life and listening and speaking. Or you have things like, um, the anointing with chrism after the moment of baptism. I mean, this chrism oil was only used in the Jewish tradition for anointing the most important people, kings and priests, them alone, no one else. Because you'd mix this balsam, right? This this perfume with the olive oil and, and the bishop still, he, like the spirit over the waters in Genesis, he doesn't bless with his hand. He actually blows with air, the sign of the cross three times over the oil, like, that was a sign in Judaism, the, the, the chrism oil of only the most important people get this. And we're taking every newborn baby and smothering them with chrism, saying, you're royalty, you're top. I mean, there, there's, there's so much in the ceremony, which has ancient roots, but is also so like, it, it, it's, like a, it's like a complicated homily or a catechesis of its own. If you just go and look at the rite of baptism, you know, it's gorgeous and detailed and yeah. That's what I'm getting at. It's, but, but then there's the fact of being baptized. So that's baptism as a right. We need to talk about, you know, we're walking around as baptized people. Anyway, but you have other questions for me too. Come on, I mean, let's, let's go from I there. I don't want to let's, take over. My, my questions are an outline. I think we can, we can bypass that in terms of if you're ready, what's your next point is, you know, as baptized people. So go ahead. Let's, let's talk about that. All right. This is like a decathlon, one event to the next. So, I mean, I mean, I'm going to say this too about baptism. Um, All right. People at home, uh, we were cut off for just a few minutes, but we are back. So we're going to get back into talking about baptism and talking about uh, really what was our question? We were talking about it, not just in the form of the action, but what it means, right? We, we could go here next because you're giving me a little freedom to roam. Yeah, I want to talk about the- Get into the fields and roam, Father. I'm going to, I'm like Sting. Sting age is more gracefully than a rock. You know, fields of gold. You know that one? Yeah. As we lie in fields of gold. That's this podcast. That's what you should title this, Fields of Gold. Because baptism, baptism brings you... It's going <laughs> to get more views than Fields of Gold. It's the one way to get to paradise. Um, no, I want to talk practicalities of like, of like living out our baptism. You know, A, it's learning your date, but also realize, you know, what day we baptize. And I mean, I just... I. I Remembered, I, I was baptized in a very charismatic fashion because this was at Franciscan University. And I mean, it was almost like the Lion King. I was literally dunked into water. There I was gleaming as a, as a three, three week old and almost held up Lion King style, you know, from the. Just picture know, that this one. at home, people. Just picture a little, little baby just being held. Symbolism and then the worship leader sings, Natsivenya, Baba Gitsi Baba Sitchehun, 
We am you, we am the. That's, that's the right melody. The song. That's only you. <laughs> Approximate lyrics. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I just think like it's worth meditating on some, but then also just to realize the reality remains, not just the day itself, that when you are, only Christians claim this. There are no other world religions that have a concept of God dwelling within us. We do not, everyone believes in God or gods above that we want to communicate with or make an offering to in some way. We are the only world religion because Christ said this at the last supper, he who keeps my word, my father and I will come and we will make our home in him. Um, the Holy spirit says Paul's been poured out into our hearts. This idea of praying to a God who is within, not without who dwells within us. And, and to realize too, that not in some secret place. I mean, I remember this, uh, you know, what we mean by God dwelling in the soul. I remember this girl, I used to, I was a lifeguard in San Diego after I graduated college, because that's what the obvious choice is. If you're a literature major after getting your <laughs> bachelor of arts or whatever. And um, I was discerning and I didn't want to take on a serious committed role at grad school or teaching high school. So I was working because I had good friends in San Diego this girl, not to say, not to speak too disrespectfully, but she was this fellow lifeguard. I remember she had a tattoo on her bicep, which had like two butterflies and it quoted the Beatles song across the universe. Nothing's going to change my world. And I was like, come on. I didn't say that, but I was like, we all change. It was like this whole defensive thing. Like I am who I am. Nobody's going to change me. So we weren't best friends. I had some good friends there, but I tell this story because she had come back one day and said that she had been to yoga and public confession. I, have tried yoga once and it was like gym class. I'm just not good at stretching. So besides the theology of that, I was like, this will never be for me and I'll never try it again. That'll and then be all drinking. three with father. It'll be yoga, the theology. Yeah. And, and also why, why you have to like drink coconut water with this. And it doesn't, it doesn't compute <laughs> on my end. Um, but this, this girl had come back basically claiming like she had gotten in contact with her soul for the first time at yoga and i i didn't have a response i was just like most things i was like moving on i'm gonna go out and uh scrub the deck you know but the thing is like that that's actually like a common notion of like we don't have contact with our souls how do we f harness this inner dialogue and the fact is is like you don't even have to be christian you could have been an ancient greek philosopher and the common concept of the soul was not this secret place where you, some part of you dwells or where God might dwell for the early Christians. The common notion of the soul was the two main activities of the soul is your inner thoughts and your inner desires, which we're in contact with all the time, which we almost, which almost caused us shame to you're, you're saying that God dwells in my soul by baptism, meaning those random thoughts, my random moods, that normal interior dialogue, which I'm not deeply proud of. That's the thing that God's dwelling among and slowly guiding. And then I'm supposed to like, and it's like uh, humbly. Yes. Christian prayer is taking that random interior dialogue, which you're going over with yourself all the time and saying, that's the place where God dwells and where you turn that towards him. And so there is like this, I think, a growing comfort level to think that, yes, God is present to us as much as even more so as, as Augustine says, Lord, you're closer to me than I am even to myself. Um, I think like that's a very practical point in Christian prayer is that the theology of baptism says that Christian prayer is, is God is there among, it's not some special form. It's not only, you only start to drift towards God when you do the Ignatian spiritual exercises, or if you only do an examination of conscience, or if you only do the rosary, all good things. 
God is present to your soul in his daily activity. The second implication to theologically is morality. Why are we, why are we trying not to misbehave? It's not just because it leaves us in certain moods, and it does. I remember very clearly when I was a little kid, distinctly playing video games and or watching television, namely step by step, day by day, or full house, or whatever else it was. I remember my mom calling into our basement on Woodland, Woodlawn Road, and calling me to dinner, and I'm ignoring her calls two or three times. And finally, when she's yelling, she, you go up to dinner and simply put you in a mood. Like, I remember, like, the bad fruits of bad behavior. It's like, that's natural morality. But, there, but the Christian morality is not just how it affects you or other people. It's how it affects the grace of God deposited in your, in your soul, is that this grace will bring me to heaven. It is eternal life. And I'm trying to protect that or get it back in the sacrament of confession. That's why the medieval nickname for the sacrament of confession was always second baptism again and again and again, you get rebaptized there in the confessional because that's all the goal of our life is to be baptized and to hold on to that grace and recover it if needed because of our behavior. Um, there's, there's, there's just the, the whole mysteries of, Christ's cross and resurrection and Christian moral life in heaven is made simple by this theology of the grace of baptism, which dwells in our hearts. It's really that simple, Brendan. Uh, but I, I just, I just think we get pulled in a thousand directions, even with good spiritual advice. Mm. And it really is about that one thing, the grace mm. of Christ. Now, there's also a couple other things I could add. The cool thing, too, is like the difference is some of the theologians like Thomas Aquinas say, what's the difference between Christ's grace and mine is that he had an infinite store, infinite. He had, he had as, as Christ said, from the moment he was conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit, he also had the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I always preach this in Spanish, los dos adelanteros, the, the two forwards in soccer, because I always ask kids in a homily. You're trying to get like Latino teenagers' attention. Like how many forwards are there in the soccer team? And all the kids are like, you idiot. There's two. You always have two forwards. It's just like, exactly. And the same thing with playing a false nine and you got one and you don't need the two, but you're more, you're more athletically involved than I am because you're younger. I, I used to know these things. I'm an old man now. That's also a really good song by the steel drivers. You know, Chris Stapleton, when he was first bluegrass before, yeah, he, went yeah, country. before he went country. I'm an old man now, bound for glory. Look up where rainbows never die. It's a gorgeous song about heaven and crossing over into heaven over the fields of cotton where rainbows never die. Steel drivers. So I always did this thing. It's like, yes, the two forwards in soccer, the two adelanteros. is like when God came into the world, it was the son of God incarnate, but with the fullness of the Holy Spirit present in him. The Holy Spirit also arrived in this new fullness. And he's sharing that. And the thing with Christ is that he can give grace as he chooses. I can't. I can intercede for people. I can ask Christ to give grace. But that is the great difference. My goal is to guard grace within me. And, and that's the primary goal. Maybe intercede for others secondarily. But it is really Christ and his wisdom and his authority. He's like that has the fullness of the spirit and he gives the spirit. And that's something that not even the Virgin Mary has. She all, she didn't have baptismal grace, but she had the grace of Christ, not not through baptism, but through a special outpouring. And Christ can do that, too. He, he can give grace to Hindus, to Muslims, to other people that are not baptized, which goes into eternal life. As the catechism says. 
Christ has bound himself to the sacraments, but he is himself not bound by them, which is a key principle. We mm-hmm. our, our, our prayers go out to the whole world that Christ's grace reaches them, but he made it easy for us and guaranteed. That's the thing about the sacraments. There's a guarantee that if you come here, it's just clear without question, just like our Protestant brothers and sisters can be forgiven of their sins just by prayer and asking God's grace to heal them. Catholics can too, if they can't reach a priest or, you know, it's it's called contrition, you know, Um, and the church has taught since the earliest councils, mortal sins can be forgiven by contrition. But the fact is, is that the sacraments, it's just this, it's just this simple security. It's like a marriage vow. It's like, you know, it's that up close seeing somebody not being at a relationship at a distance. Sorry to rip on you again on the air. I mean, these people in distance relationships. Meredith, this is the, <laughs> the second one. <laughs> but there's, there's just something up close and, and perfect and serene to say the, the child receives the grace of baptism. Uh, you receive it again whenever I go to confession. It's strengthened by the Eucharist. It's shared between the couple now that you're married, is that you don't just, these two baptized that carry grace in their hearts doesn't have this new interchange opened up in marriage of baptismal grace. So I mean to say that it's like grace is, isn't only through baptism, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's just the Christ wanted it to be that easy for us. And it's probably so easy we take it for granted. I think we definitely take it for granted. I mean, as a practicing Catholic, I definitely do. Or, I mean, how many times do you, Father, hear in confession somebody confessing presumption or should have been confessing presumption? You know, like you can listen to someone's sins and probably guess. And how many times have I needed to confess that when I go to confession? Of right. You Jesus? just you, you presume I'll get forgiven. But I do need to say this with the sin of presumption while we're on that topic in a minor way, yes, it is kind of saying like, well, I'll just like, I'll just keep sinning and keep confessing. But the more major form of presumption is actually avoiding confession, which is actually sadly common among so many Catholic brothers and sisters that they haven't been to confession forever because I'm a good person. That's capital P presumption is basically, yeah. I don't, I don't need God's grace and forgiveness because like I'm okay on my own. We do that in a, in a minor way when we kind of go through the sin confession cycle, like the laundromat over and over again but it's not as serious a sin of presumption. No, it's the better one. So I'll take my little P, but I still have to confess it a lot. And I'm like, I got to really get better. And God's like, yeah, that'd be nice for you to accept these graces. I'm like, duly noted. Thanks, Jesus. And also thank you for this great gift of confession all the while. (laughs) I'm still struggling. I just went recently in Philadelphia because I was there for a wedding and uh, it was just the church was empty and I went up to this priest and confession was simple. It took a minute or two, but it was just I was reminded all over again of how amazing I think I was I was I was amazed by the confession just because I was the only one. It's like, does anybody else in the world want to come into this church? This priest is just here on offer, you know, so, yeah, kind of I got those. I got that. You know that song, Grace Like Rain? You want to go back to old praise and worship stuff? You know that one? Hallelujah, grace like rain. Kind of has a Nickelback vibe. I hate that song. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while since I've heard that. Is it Mercy Me? I don't know, but I did did feel it more this time. Um, I mean, what else is on your mind, baptism, if if we have a a few moments? No, I mean, I, I think you've pretty much done a really good job of just kind of I think the biggest thing for this episode, because I asked Father if he wanted to do another episode, and I originally suggested just a Q&A, and he said baptism 
would be good. And as I looked at my email from the first time we talked about doing a podcast, you mentioned baptism. So it's clearly a topic that, you know, you're very passionate about, and I think people just need to hear. So I think, you know, I don't know if there's any one thing that needs to be discussed. I think you hit on a point of, if you're, if you're listening to this, firstly, find out when you were baptized, look at that date, start to remember that, celebrate that. I mean, I've heard somebody tell me, uh, basically, you know, we're so, we're so prone to celebrate our birthdays and we think that's so important, but this is a more important day. This is the date that you really uh, become in union with God in a new and more direct way. The graces are going to be outpouring in a way that they weren't before. And um, this entrance into the church should be something that you look at as, as vital and important. And so I say all that, I think, you know, you've done a good job of just getting people to think about that and then just offering all the different uh little reflections that you've provided, I think is going to get people at home, um, hopefully talking about baptism. And I think that's good. And, and seeing the value there, I mean, we could talk about a number of things, but as I look at even my questions, I don't know if they're necessarily um, important here. Um, I guess the, the one thing we didn't cover, which again, sort of indirectly is that baptism can't be undone that's kind of the beauty of it is that you know this was a this was a main thing like should we rebaptize this was in the early church when you had the persecutions in north africa were so severe you had a lot of bishops which they call traitors the hand the ones who handed over namely the book of the gospels to be destroyed and there was this big question of like can they like can these bishops be received again? Did they sell out so much that they can't come back to the church? Or if they do, would we have to rebaptize them? That's like a very Russian Orthodox thing. The only Christians I know that rebaptize are Russian Orthodox. If you weren't there, I mean, we would do so if the language was questionable for like Salvation Army baptisms, Mormon baptisms, these things, we would rebaptize if you like, the, the right thing wasn't done. We'd never rebaptize for Christian baptisms because we think they're legitimate. But that is kind of this amazing teaching that comes out with St. Augustine and with other things is um, that once this is done, it remains, it's a seal upon the soul. It's, it's also, it's not just a seal. It's almost like a wound. A lot of descriptions is not just like a marking. It's an openness. It's like, uh, you know, people who have had a surgery and when they can feel when it's about to rain, you know, it's kind of their, their wound hurts again. Like there's, whereas GK Chesterton called, called when the, the twitch upon the thread, Baptized people can run away from that all they want and forsake the grace of baptism, but they will at times feel that tug upon the invisible thread. Um, That's kind of the amazing thing is that there's a commitment of God in our baptism, not just like, hey, you better be committed because this is a great gift you're receiving and your parents better be committed when they they, they, they bring you to the church as a child. It's, It's that God himself commits to 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 chasing after us by us being baptized and especially as Christians, there is a wound and opening. Uh, he, I, and, and there are stories, people, people who are, you know, I have stories as well. I mean, people I know who come to RCIA where they were baptized and nothing else for their whole life, never been to church, nothing. I and mean, I have a guy that came into RCIA in Philadelphia where he was in the middle of a life depression. He was in his late thirties and uh, was walking past a statue of the Virgin Mary in Ireland at the, at the, at the Mount of St. Patrick, Crow Patrick. And just saw the Virgin Mary, saw these bold letters saying, come back to my son. And he just broke down weeping for a half an hour, had no idea what was going on. But he had the wound, the character of baptism, which made him extra vulnerable to God. So 
there there it's not just oh well some these baptized people so many have just walked away and they don't care it's there is still a connection which is never removed which god will use so i think that's the character of baptism that's what we call it yeah it's also, it's also is, is, is huge it's 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 a lifeline to god still it's not saving character alone but it's uh he will he will call you know yeah yeah i think and i and i've talked about that multiple times on here just corinthians love is patient the first thing that is paul's mentioned god is love love is patient god is patient you know we need to remember that he's always going to be trying to 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 get us and that's never going to change and um especially when we've been baptized you know there's a greater um we have a greater disposition to his grace and to his mercy and love and you know, natural law has been written on our hearts. And so in those spaces for that person who, for whatever reason, struck by that calling, you know, it's because of God is at work. And, you know, even the smallest bit of our hearts being open to that, uh, he's going to take advantage of and, and enter into and try to make himself known. And of course, then we get to choose. Have you ever read that poem, Just God Pursuing, The Hound of Heaven? That's definitely worth looking up. Now I'm listening to Where Rainbows Never Die. And Francis, um, Francis Thompson, Hound of Heaven. It's like late 1800s, basically about God who's uh, in relentless pursuit of us. That's a good Dominican thing, too, the, the hounds of the Lord, the dogs. Um, this, this doesn't have a connection. This is just, I think, British poetry. And, and the British, I'm, I'm actually in Britain right now, and and I love their cask ale, which is a very mild beer, but I, I don't love what they did to the Dominicans historically. <laughs> we actually were extinct from England for hundreds of years. And a lot of our guys copped out too. We, uh, I think we had like two thirds become Anglican bishops. They got bribed into it and gave in. And, but actually of the small minority uh, group of Dominicans in exile in Belgium across the channel, that was where the birth of the American Dominicans came from. A Maryland-born Francis, you know, Edward Fenwick, uh, went over there and studied there, and and then uh, then God bless America. And here we are. And here we are. Um, check out the uh, Dominican Friary in D.C. I mean, the House of Studies. How many guys do you have right now? Like ninety. I don't know, but it's uh, but we also have problems too. You know, we. We too uh, neglect central theologies of baptism and can nitpick on the uh, fine points. <laughs> well, I'm just saying it's good to go. It's 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 good to emphasize in baptism, not just Dominicans, but Christians. I mean, to be a baptized Christian is, you know, God, I mean, you're you're doing a podcast on saints. I mean, I don't care whatever other topics we're talking about. To be a saint is to be baptized and to hold on to your horses. Um, Giddy up. <laughs> that's the that's the sense of the church's mission. Anyway, it's good to talk. I'm uh I think we said good things. Yeah, I agree. Well, and I appreciate you you coming on as always. I think uh I, you're always welcome here, Father. As you and know. quick shout out, thank you for setting up my cousin Ryan with my cousin Ryan. You basically found a wife for him. He was desperate and uh lonely, basically lost. Very lonely, so. very lonely. And now he's getting married and we're trying to look at dates and uh, we have, we have you to thank for this marriage. You and God, Mostly not God. those two. Mostly God. <laughs> <laughs>
I will take little to no credit and I will happily do that. So, you know, if it goes awry, Ryan, I don't really want to be a part this of This is your that. first, this is your first successful matchmaking, right? No. no. How many do you have on your record? I think just one other one, but this will be two. Still, I have zero and I've tried a lot anyway. Yeah. Peter Herman, you're, you're welcome. So, I'm trying, you know, I, I, I want to be the patron saint of connections. So this is just kind of how it works. I got to do this well. I'll just be the patron saint of basics. Remember the basics. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> well, thank you, Father. As always, I will uh, be putting this out soon. But thank you to anyone who's listening at home. Um, if you want to follow Father, I don't think he's really on social media. So you can uh, ask me for his email. And if he allows me to, I can give it to you guys. But you can stop by uh, Dartmouth, our campus ministry center. There you um, go. We do. There are three of us friars that do a an obscure art house podcast, which I'm not promoting because I'm trying to stay off the internet. But if you want to look it up, it's called what is it called? Friars and Film. Yeah, they rate movies and do little things like that. Do I have to pay you now that I said that on air? Am I your sponsor now? Yeah, it's about thirty five dollars one mention so you just can i'll tithe it the first time but second time you're gonna have to pay up i'll venmo you in pounds sterling now that'd that i'm overseas that'd be wonderful <laughs> that means it's more money for me so that's great yeah now if you i mean i could even just say my 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 email is my name at gmail timothy danaher gmail.com it's no there secret you go. open to the world to, to email him timothy danaher at gmail.com that's all we got for you guys today thank you again for joining and God bless you and God bless America.